0: I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Manna. And this is Food for Thought, a podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. Do you hate being interrupted? Well, what if the interruptions were opportunities for deeper growth with yourself, your relationships, and with God? Let's talk about that. You know, I'm not really a big science person, and so when it comes to jokes about science, specifically about the elements, I only like them periodically. Eh, that one was okay. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 87. Good to be with you back again. Uh, as always, I'm so grateful that you are continuing to listen. We have an increasing number of followers, downloads. Um, every single episode, I'm just so blessed to see how this continues to bless other people. And so I want to hear about it. I want to hear about how you receive these episodes, how they help you, what you'd like to see on this podcast, questions that you have. And if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It helps other people find it. And remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and to me is to share this with a friend. Share it on social media. You can tag us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. Follow us there. And check out our website, ManOfFoodForThought.com, where you can figure out also how you can support us financially for as little as a dollar a month. Become a patron. Get perks. It's going to be cool. Things you'll be getting. Uh, So, anyways, let's get into our peak pit and plug. We do this every episode. We, I, do this every episode to kind of let you know what some of the highs and lows are and uh, give you just an idea of something that has been connecting with me or that's been helping me spiritually or in my life. I encourage you to do this with other people when you check in with them. It's a little good thing that you can do, but if you're just joining us, this is what uh, I do. So, peak for this episode. um, Very exciting. I am writing worship music for the first time in a long time. I, for a long time, just kind of didn't feel like I had anything valuable to bring to the worship kind of culture because it's very I don't know production focused and very marketing focused these days and I'm just not that type of a person I've tried to be and I'm just not very good at it so and it's not authentic to who I am and so I don't know for a long time I felt like well maybe I'm not called to be a worship leader anymore maybe I'm not called to to write but um I don't know, some things have changed. I've been reading uh, a book called The Reset by Jeremy Camp about how we need to reset that whole culture, and it just kind of gave me permission, I think, to finally just be like, you know what? I have a gift of music that the Lord has given me. I've been a worship leader for 16 years. I want to share that gift with others, and so um, my goal, my peak is that I'm writing this music, and my goal is to have a worship album um, completed by Easter. I don't know, it's not going to be good quality, I'm going to tell you that. It's not going to be like studio, it's going to be like junky garage band recordings, maybe on Spotify, maybe a link, you know, f- to this podcast, but um, that's exciting and I'm I'm happy to, yeah, to do that and to just kind of allow the Lord to bless it if he chooses and if it's just something for me and God and for me to worship him, that's all I need really, you know, so uh, if no one ever hears it but me, then I'm happy, so anyways, I'm excited for that, so that is my peak. Um, my pit is, man, there's just, what a what a crazy world we live in, y'all, um, you know, the the Capitol riot just happened last week while I'm recording this, I'm um, recording this pretty far in advance when you hear it, so I don't know what else is going to have happened by the time you hear this, but um, that just happened last week, And but I see... What, what my real pit is, I think, is I see people internalizing what's going on in the world so much more than we used to, partially because we need to, because there needs to be a greater awareness of certain issues. But I think partially also because we're isolated and all we're doing is online and we're just taking it very personally and, and taking it too much to heart, I think. And so I guess my pit is like I just see emotional exhaustion deepening the emotional exhaustion in people around you know, those people who are emotionally exhausted, you know, like, so I just, if it doesn't bring you hope or joy, it's not like delighting your spirit, whatever it is that you're consuming or doing right now in your life or your day-to-day life, what you're, you're into, um, take a break from it, you know, like you don't need to be making a statement about everything, you know, um, even if it's an issue that's very important that you're very passionate about, sometimes you just get so wrapped up in it that, It's just, um, it's too emotionally volatile and it's unhealthy. You're bringing unhealthy voice and unhealthy lens to the issue that's not helpful or to the event or whatever. Um, Nowhere in the law or in our culture is there a rule Um, my spiritual director reminded me of this, that everyone has to make a statement about everything that happens. Okay. You know, you can process it, internalize it, talk to your friends about it, but you don't need to make some public declaration about everything that happens. Um, You know, that's not our job. So um, we don't, shouldn't ignore the important things going on, but I think there's, there needs to be a balance. And so my pit is that I see a lack of that balance and it's causing a lack of joy in just people and especially Catholic voices out there. Like I can't, I can't remember the last time I saw something in the Catholic world that was like, this was positive and uplifting. and I felt like this was delightful, you know, like, oh, like that's a sad thing, you know, at least in social media culture. I see other things, obviously, but social media culture and, you know, I'm not even on Twitter. And so I'm sure that's like a firestorm of dumpster trash when it comes to that. So anyways, that's my pit. And so if you're feeling that, too, I just want to give you permission to be like, you know what, I don't need to be in this all the time. And find something that brings you joy. So, my plug: something that might bring you a little bit of joy is the Bible in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz. It's a podcast. It's a email subscription. It's whatever. I mean, they have a bunch of different ways you can listen. But if you have ever wanted to read the entire Bible and you just need a guide, um, they have daily um, podcast episodes. Uh, Bible in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz. They just started January first. You can start anytime. And they have a reading plan, and they will read that whole section with you on the podcast, so you can follow along, read it, and then there's a little bit of a message to kind of put it in context. And then every time they get to a different, like, historical period, they'll give you a little updated episode about, like, what to expect and what is going on right now. So, it's really good contextualized um, study of the Bible. So, if you're interested, check that out. I think I'll put it in the show notes. I think I already have, but, you know, look there. So... You know what, I want to talk about in this episode because there's so much going on in the world and um, has been for so long. I came across this quote in a book I've been reading called Reaching Out by Henry Nouwen. And he's talking about, um, he's recounting a conversation he had with a colleague. And the colleague says, You know, when I first started, I've been working in, you know, for 30 years. And when I first started work at the university level, um, I would get so frustrated with interruptions, and then after a long period of time, I realized that the interruptions were my work, and I really loved that because that's the same is true for ministry, you know, like, or whatever you're involved in, but in my context is ministry, you know, like, we can get so consumed with the programs we put on and, you know, like, what's going on, how the mass is being presented, how we're live streaming this or that, that we, um, we just get so like laser focused on something and we're not interruptible. And when the interruptions happen, that's where real ministry can happen. When someone is hurting, when they need to be prayed for, when they have a question, when they're, you know, trying to get into something late, you know, like and just, I don't know. I just think like there was just something very beautiful about that. And, and just pose the question like, are you interruptible? I mean, this whole year has been a giant interruption this past year, like a giant interruption to our whole way of life, our culture. But like, what if these obstacles, these speed bumps, instead of being dead ends, what if they were doorways? Like doorways to growth and more depth, more creativity, deeper vulnerability and trust with God and with other people. And it just kind of brought me to this this book because this book has kind of three main movements in it on how we reach out three main spiritual movements uh, in our life and it's our relationship with ourselves our relationship with others and our relationship with god and it just kind of struck me that you know all of those have kind of suffered from the reality of interruption you know like our relationship with ourselves and feeling isolated and lonely is because our whole way of life has been interrupted our whole routine all of our relationships are now like You know, there's a lot of emptiness there, a lot of lacking, a lot of um, empty holes in our calendar, possibly, when it comes to our social calendar, at least. And in this section of the book, Henry Nouwen talks about like we need to go from the end of the spectrum of loneliness to solitude. And even though those two things maybe sound the same, they are vastly different. Because solitude, like lonely, you can be lonely in a crowded room but you can also experience solitude in a crowded room because loneliness is more an experience of disconnection and uh, not being in relationship solitude is i can i'm in relationship with everything around me if i'm in a crowded room i'm taking the things to heart if i'm in a conversation i'm taking the things to heart and i'm i'm allowing them to penetrate my very being my identity i'm receiving them um, I have you know a poverty of mind and heart where my mind's not made up about everything and my heart is not co- totally convicted. There's room for more. there's more growth, more depth possible. And I think in the church sometimes we, We think, okay, we have the absolute truth, doctrines are very concrete, and it's like, yeah, but your understanding of that doctrine will always be able to grow. So you can't have this kind of closed-door mentality that you've already got everything figured out, or your beliefs are already correct and in check. Like, they can always deepen And so a sense of solitude allows you when you're alone or when you're with a group of people to allow these different interruptions of like conversations or life being different to really kind of receive what is happening and take it into yourself and experience it more deeply. And this is hard because we live in a fear of silence and we can often experience that silence as loneliness and not as an invitation into solitude, but really like, if there's ever been a time in history, and at least in our history, like recent history, where we are been given an opportunity to ponder things in our heart more deeply and have a greater sense of self-awareness, it's this time, you know? We are being given this possibility to grow through all we're receiving and experiencing. And that's why, you know, I talked a little bit longer about my pit because I feel like all of those things happening are such a deep invitation to solitude where we can receive them and allow them to challenge us and allow them to um deepen our belief. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that capital riot and just thinking regardless of what your belief is about what happened, um obviously there are, you know, negative things that happened that should have been avoided, should not have happened um that that don't speak to gospel values. But I looked at those people as I've looked at many people who've taken to the streets and protested and things have happened, you know, from different movements or events that, you know, have been problematic for some people. They pointed out as negative. And it just makes me ask myself, do I believe in Jesus Christ enough to have that type of tenacity that I'd be willing to go and march, that I'd be willing to go and spread that message to the ends of the earth? Now, I'm not saying that anything that has happened was good or bad or correct or not, you know. I I think, I mean, I vehemently disagree with the violence and this, you know, kind of, like, idea that we need to storm the Capitol and, like, change this vote. There was no stealing of any, you know, no reputable academic peer-reviewed source has said that there's any evidence of that. Um, so, anyways, that, you know, let's just look at the facts. I'm not, you know, that's not biased media. That's if you just, like, actually do research. Um, but anyways, like, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think, like, I don't know, when you have solitude, you can take events like that, and you can find deeper meaning in them, even if on the surface, you're just so angry, or so saddened, or heartbroken by what happened. And, you know, in, in having that solitude to that event, I just, I reached this place in prayer with it, where I was just like, you know, I want Donald Trump and his followers to get to heaven. I want Black Lives Matter, and the people who are aligned to that movement to get to heaven, and. What do I do to make that happen? You know, what if every Christian around all those people had that conviction and that belief? Now, I feel like there are, you know, a lot of problems with, um, you know, kind of the Trump movement that's already associated with Christianity and acts in such a way that is not very Christian a lot of the time, at least in the public sphere and at least what the media shows us. Um, and so I'm not, you know, i um, not saying... I don't know. I'm I'm just I don't want to make like some kind of pledge of allegiance to either side, because I think there's very deep problems in both. But there's a clear need for justice. And then there's a clear um, group of people who align, say they align with Christian values and are um, doing an injustice to Christianity as a result. And so there's problems. You know, And so I can sit there and I can receive all those problems and I can complain about them and get angry about them. And if you're hearing me and you're saying like, oh, you're not saying enough about X or this and you're getting angry about how I'm saying things, maybe you are suffering from the same problem, which is why this might sound so disconnected you know, from, from your experience. Because I think we lack solitude. We lack the ability to look at even the other side and say, okay, why would they even be doing what they're doing? Is there anything good there? And I think a lot of times there is we're just not willing to dig and we're we're too quick to just be emotionally reactive and have the soundbite to make the statement about the public event. You know, we all need to have the statement, the stance. And, you know, I think I miss the times when we would actually like review the information. You know, information comes out so quick now that it's like you can't respond to it. Um, in an intellectual way, because you're just responding to a sound bite. You never have all the information, you know, it takes time to do the research, to see studies, to actually make sure things are peer reviewed and academic and not an unbiased or not a biased source or a lie or a media campaign, you know? Um, and so there's benefit to having and practicing solitude and allowing these big interruptions to our society and to our life to become opportunities for deeper growth, deeper reflection, and that will provoke deeper togetherness, like a willingness to dialogue with the people we disagree with or to learn from people that we think are totally different from us. And so, I don't know, that first movement of the book to the self, I think, really um, it, it lends itself well to this idea. And then, then I think also this, this second movement of the book where it's about our relationship with other people. And I don't know about you, but I, I tend to be someone who gets very focused on things and then when I get interrupted, I tend to respond, like, um, uh, like ho- with hostility. I tend to respond, like, in a negative way. Be like, I- I'm busy right now. Like, I can't handle this right now. You know, I get very anxious about, you know, being interrupted. And I think that that's a problem. And actually, Henry Nowen says, like, the, the thing we want to avoid, actually, is hostility when it comes to these relationships. We want to move from hostility to hospitality. And the idea that the interruptions are an invitation to deeper hospitality. You see that all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament. You see um, people welcoming the stranger. You know, read the story of Abraham and Sarah in, um, you know, the first uh, few dozen chapters of Genesis. Uh, or at least like from Genesis, you know, 11 to, you know, 23. Um And Genesis uh, and Abraham and Sarah welcoming the three strangers and saying, come, let us let us give you food. And then, um, you know, when Abraham um, sends out a servant to find a wife for his son, Isaac, um, and he is received like like a king by uh, by Rebecca and her brother Laban um and they they feed him they give him uh hay for his camels water for his camels they put him up for the night like that was like the idea of hospitality and we see that with the prophet elijah we see that practice at the time of jesus we've lost that you know we had it in like the 1950s maybe with that neighborhood mentality and people would knock on each other's doors and bring each other cookies now if someone knocks on your door even pre-pandemic you're like close the blinds who is that we're going to be murdered you know like there's this sense of innate hostility a fear of the stranger where having a biblical sense of hospitality is we expect to encounter God in the stranger. And I think this interruption of being isolated from other people and a lack of being able to encounter others has given us even a more deeply seated sense of hostility that now we're taking online and we're losing this sense of the other and relationship. And it's just about the ideology, the ism, the belief and you know, we, I think we need to break some of those boundaries down and reform them in a way that's healthier. You know, how do we cultivate a sense of openness to always be ready to receive the gift God has waiting for us in the stranger, in the other, even if they're different from us? How do we not respond with hostility? Even if someone say posts something online, like you know your aunt or your uncle who posts some, you know, I don't know, phobic or racist or something, I don't know thing online, and you're like, what? You know, like you can't say that. You know, it'd be like, well, why? Why would they like? Why would they think this is okay? Should I call them? Yes, call them. Talk about it. Have the conversation. Don't try and be the one who has the retweetable line. You know, that's not going to get us anywhere. We're just going to keep cutting at each other and saying pithy, sarcastic, passive-aggressive things and responding with more and more hostility. And then we're creating this echo chamber for other people who feel kind of the same to be like, oh, yeah, that encapsulates my anger. But does it encapsulate your need for relationship? No. It doesn't give you an opportunity to dialogue with another person, to really get to the intention, to really find a common ground. And trust me, even though it seems like we're so divided, there is common ground. Now, I want to remind you just for America, you know, American purposes, 20% of America is on Twitter and 20% of them are responsible for 80% of the content on Twitter. So it's 4% of America is responsible for 80% of the content on Twitter. And so like, if you think it's super divided on Twitter, well, yeah, because all of the fringes are on Twitter, but what about the the 96% of us that are in the middle? you know, that are in the gray area and just like, okay, do I have to choose a side, you know? And maybe it's not that like small and large, but I mean, there's a lot more of us who are willing and open to dialogue, but we just feel like, I think, or at least I feel that the prevailing rhetoric is just have pithy things that you can say to cut down the other side and just like hold fast to your side. And that's just, that's hostility. That's not the gospel. It doesn't bring hope. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring delight. You know, even though people are so deep seated in these beliefs, I don't see them getting any joy from believing them. I just see people screaming. And that is not something that's attractive, but it's perpetuating the cycle of hostility in the midst of these interruptions. The interruptions of someone disagreeing with you, the interruption of uh, being faced with another person who may not be the same as you. And so the interruption is the opportunity to grow deeper in your relationship with others. The interruption, this pandemic is an opportunity for us to grow deeper in relationship with others, to put in more effort, to get on Zoom, even if we're tired of the computer, to FaceTime, even when we're exhausted after a day of digital gatherings, you know, um, all those things to get off social media for a while because it's not real connection. It's not. There are inspiring things on there. There are people doing good things. I don't happen to be seeing any of them, but I'm sure that there are. And and so if you're getting good stuff, if if, you, if every time you close your Instagram app, your Twitter app or your Facebook app, and you feel like, oh, I just had a breath of fresh air, that was delightful, keep doing it. But if you don't, then you need a break. Go actually have a conversation with another human, interrupt your day, your schedule This, you know, digital mountain of things that there are available. And remember that we are people who need to be in relationship with other people. And ultimately, those two things, our relationship with ourself, trying to go from loneliness to solitude in the midst of interruption, and our relationship with others trying to go from hostility to hospitality in the midst of interruptions, that is all going to help inform our relationship with God. You know, when these interruptions to life happen, You know, if we're trying to be faithful to God, it just turns into kind of like this dutiful response like we talked about in the last episode. You know, we're not delighting in it. You know, it's just kind of like, well, here's what I have to do. Let me get through the to-do list of my prayer and then I'll get to everything else or maybe it just gets kicked off the list. And Henry Nowen talks about this movement that we need to have in our relationship with God from illusion to prayer. And the idea of illusion is that We kind of all have this illusion of what will fulfill us, of, um, you know, the, the perfect spouse or the perfect relationship with God. And every time we pray that it's obviously going to be answered and if it isn't, we've done something wrong or God's not there or God's not real. We've created this fantasy of the spiritual life in our heads or of an ideal fulfilling life. And we've created it in such a way that it's, it's a house of cards. It's built on fragile things that will never fulfill us. My wife can't fulfill me. She cannot fulfill my every need. She cannot make me, she cannot fill that God-shaped hole in my heart. Only God can do that. We all have that hole. We all have that desire for more, for um, complete transcendent fulfillment for, you know, the fullest expressions of love, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty. No human reality or human person can fulfill that because it's a it's a superhuman, it's a supernatural desire. So only someone or something outside of our human experience can fulfill it. And if we think anything else, we're, it's an illusion. If we think a movement, a party, a leader, an ideology is going to save us, no. Catholicism will not save you. Jesus will. Now, Catholicism might get you there. It might be the the, um, the conduit which is what it's designed to. The church is designed to make disciples, which means people who have been put in contact and intimacy with Jesus Christ in such a way that they want to follow him for the rest of their life. And they've been changed. But the actual structure of Catholicism, the church, the Vatican, the Pope, like they, they can't save you. They won't save you. Only Jesus can do that. And so if we think anything else, we've created an illusion. But we need to return to a place of real prayer. Real prayer. We need to move away from this illusion that we know what, who God is or what he wants from us and that we can control exactly what will fulfill us, that we can somehow discern his will and his plan so perfectly that we'll have a better life. And within this movement, Henry Nouwen talks about we need to move things from our mind into our heart. And he, he brings up this kind of um, form of, I think it's a form of Russian mysticism called um, hesychasm or hesychomistic prayer. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's basically this prayer bringing things from the mind to the heart where you meditate on something just so simple or some thought over and over and over again. And he gives the example of the sinner's prayer where like, imagine if you meditated on the sinner's prayer all day, every day, like it was in the back of your mind, like you're praying the rosary. It just became this kind of rhythmic prayer throughout your day. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that just became part of your breath of your life. That would change everything. And he has these stories in this book about people who've like gone from spiritual leader to spiritual leader. And, you know, someone told this person, pray this prayer, you know, 3,000 times a day, then 5,000, then 10,000. Then it became just part of who this person was. You know, it's almost like this transcendent moment. And they became like a, almost like a higher version of themselves. And in that something so simple, you know, you break down every illusion that I don't need to, God doesn't need for for me to, God doesn't need to wait for me to ask for something to try and give it to me. You know, he's not like just waiting like, well, I totally would bless your life if you just said the right words in prayer or you asked the right question. Like, no, like God is not like a SAT proctor or something like that, making sure you're in line saying and doing the right thing. Like, that's ridiculous. (sighs) So like, sorry, (laughs) like... You know, we need to break down these illusions, you know, Um, and we need to do that in the context of a community. He talks about community uh, in this book as like one that recognizes there's a sense of togetherness, but also a sense of estrangement because we need to be together pursuing God in authentic prayer. But there also needs to be a sense of estrangement that we're not just growing closer together, that we're estranged from one another in the sense that we know we can't fulfill each other. And even us being together will not fulfill us. And the last kind of paradox he talks about is this this paradox between God's presence and his absence. So in these moments of interruption where we feel like maybe our spiritual life has been interrupted, we're in a dark night of the soul, we're in a dry spiritual period, maybe we feel like God is absent. And Henry Nouwen argues that like leaning into that absence is where you'll find his presence. You know, like when you recognize like, I don't feel like God is absent, then you'll slowly remember, like, even in his absence, God is there. Like, even in moments where Jesus was alone, God was there. Even in moments when I'm alone, I don't even realize he's with me, he's there. And then we find his presence. Then we dive deeper into his presence. We were reminded of his absence, that he's still, you know, not the same as us, uh, still inaccessible in some way, but yet totally accessible and totally present in another way. And it's this Thing we constantly are going to be dealing with in our spiritual life, but these different paradoxes or spectrums of going from loneliness to solitude, from hostility to hospitality, from illusion to prayer, and having a community that's both of togetherness and estrangement, bringing us in relationship to a God who is both present and absent. That is what we're being invited into in these interruptions in life. They're all opportunities for deeper growth in all those areas, deeper realizations. Of where we are on those spectrums or how we've been complaining within one of those paradoxes and realizing I'm trapped between these two ideas and I just can't realize that maybe it's a both and. Maybe there's something to be learned here in the gray area. And so I just want to invite you in the ways that your life has been interrupted. In the ways that your life feels like totally out of your hands, totally out of control, totally different. In the day-to-day things where you feel lonely, when you feel um, like you're working on something and someone just throws something at you from left field, your boss, you get interrupted, whatever it is, or your day gets so filled unexpectedly that you don't have time to pray. I just invite you to see those moments as opportunities for deeper growth, to get rid of the structures and rituals you have in place to see like maybe things do need to change up. Maybe I do need a more enriched idea of what my life looks like and be invited into deeper growth in my relationship with myself, my self-awareness, my relationship with others, and that idea of hospitality and togetherness and my relationship with God and i think it's uh, appropriate to uh do an episode on this particular saint again we did an, uh, an episode on this saint uh, episode 11 our episode on complaining and so i'm going to kind of recap a little bit of that episode when talking about the saint because i think he encapsulates it very well this this topic and that topic i think they coincide um but it's also the year of this saint it is the year of saint joseph and saint joseph i think is someone who embodies a person who was willing to be interrupted, willing for his whole life to change course and see it as an opportunity for deep spiritual responsibility and growth and saying yes to something very profound. As feast days March 19th, he's the patron saint of families and fathers, of a happy death, of travelers and immigrants, house sellers and buyers, craftsmen, engineers, workers, and the universal church. And what I love about St. Joseph and why I think it's such a great year to have a year of St. Joseph is there's no concept of I with Joseph. Like it's, it's, it's never about him. He had a deep sense of himself and who God was calling him to be. And he had a true appreciation of God in the other and in, in, in welcoming Mary into his home. And he was a true person of prayerfulness. You know, he understood solitude, hospitality, and prayer. And there was no eye in him. And in that episode we did on complaining, we talked about four eyes that lead to complaining. And I think it's so appropriate to, to say them again, because I think Joseph embodies avoiding these. And so the first I was insecurity. And I think we complain or we, you know, we refuse uh, to see interruptions as opportunities when we're insecure. When something really like attacks us, or we don't know how to respond. Think about how insecure Joseph must have been being married to a perfect spouse and the father to a perfect child, and yet he's in charge, you know, and yet we never have a sense of that. Like he just dutifully obeys and says yes to what God is asking of him. Another eye that causes us to complain uh, and see interruptions uh, just as that, and not maybe as opportunities is inconvenience. You know, this is, the pandemic, you know, a huge inconvenience to our everyday life. Like, why would I see anything good in this? And you see this in like, you know, there's been a lot of posts at the beginning of this year, like, oh, I've, I've had my 10-day free trial, free trial version of 2021. I'd like, to, I'd like my money back or whatever. It's like, we're only paying attention to these bad things because we're so hyper aware of how they've stacked on each other this amount of bad stuff was happening all the time already. You guys like this stuff happened all the time, all around the world. We're just more hyper aware of it because of this pandemic and being inconvenienced by it. And so, you know, are we finding things that are delighting us? And so, I mean, Joseph was ultimately inconvenienced. he thought he was going to have a normal marriage to someone he loved. And, and yet he's invited to have this huge responsibility and to, um, be in a chaste marriage with, um, with Mary and he stays faithful anyway. He, he says, yeah, I'm, you know, it says in, in Matthew that he was going to potentially divorce her quietly um, and that she's conceived a child that wasn't his. And so under the law, like he could divorce Mary uh, and even have her stoned to death. But the angel appears in a dream, tells him that Mary's conceived the Holy Spirit and Joseph obeys. You know, he, he doesn't allow this inconvenience to derail him. It says in Matthew chapter one, verse 20, he was not afraid to take Mary as his wife. That's what the angel compels him. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And another eye that uh, Joseph does not embody that would cause us in these moments of interruption to complain a lot is importance. You know, like we still want to feel relevant. We want to feel valued and important in the workplace. And a lot of people have been fired, furloughed, let go. And that can really damage that sense of pride or work or identity that we have. And what I love about Joseph is that he has no recorded words in Scripture. One of the most important humans in history. We, nothing he ever said has been recorded. We have no idea. We see the witness in what he did, leading the Holy Family. But no important words or teachings to impart, other than those that were embodied by the Holy Family those that helped raise Jesus. And, you know, you know you know, works by their fruits, right? And so, obviously, bore, bore beautiful fruit. St. Uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta said this, We are at Jesus' disposal. If he wants you to be sick in bed, he wants you to proclaim his work in the street. If he wants you to clean the toilets all day, that's all right. Everything is all right. We must say, I belong to you. You can do whatever you like. And this is our strength. This is the joy of the Lord, and I think Joseph embodied that beautifully. He didn't spend time boasting about he, his own importance or why he was so hurt and his pride was so attacked and and this or that or why he's right and the other people are wrong. He uh, obeyed. He saw the interruption as the opportunity, and he let his own pride set aside, and he was faithful. And lastly, an eye that can cause us to complain is injustice. And not to say that injustice is bad, but a lot of times we just um, feel like we do our due diligence by just like kind of issuing the sound bite on social media and then we don't do anything else. We don't change any behavior. We don't call attention to an organization. We don't support them. We don't have the hard conversations. We don't try and convince people who are on the other side. You know, we don't do that. We don't do the hard work. And it would be very, it would have been easy for Joseph and his humanity to say, like, this is a huge injustice. I was supposed to get married. I was supposed to have a normal life, you know. But he focused on, okay, what can I do? What can I be faithful? How? What am I being called to do? Um, St. Lidwin of Shidem said, um, once said, admire the goodness of the creator who causes the one to suffer in order to free the other. Maybe sometimes we have to take on the burden of, noticing the injustice as almost a sense of suffering to unburden the other from um, from the anger that we could give them and just give them instead opportunity for dialogue. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like Joseph embodies that beautifully in this interruption. He sees it as an opportunity to take on this very, I mean, can you imagine, like, two perfect people in your house? You're the only human with original sin, Whose fault is it always yours, you know, like, you know, like Joseph wasn't perfect, you know, so man, like, but to just faithfully say yes and do that his whole life, you know, and to see all that, that huge interruption to his life that he didn't even foresee as this, this opportunity to be faithful, not to complain because of his own insecurity or inconvenience or because he thought he was important or his plans are important or the sense of injustice that his life was being taken away. No, he was faithful. And I think the example we can learn from him in this year of St. Joseph is how do we consecrate ourselves to him in such a way that our will looks like his, that we're willing to see every interruption as an opportunity for grace, for deeper growth, to say yes, to encounter the other and to not get so lost in the echo chamber of our own beliefs, our own isms, our own platforms and parties. No, You know, we're all complaining that the world is so divided, but who's doing the work in the middle? We should be. We are the ones who are meant to do it. And even if we're isolated, pick up a phone. You have hundreds of contacts in your phone, I'm sure. Pick it up and call someone and have a conversation. That's where the real work happens. And yeah, you'll interrupt their day, but hopefully they'll see it as an opportunity too. I invite you into that deeper that deeper form of life, and I, and I assure you, it, it will bring more joy. You know, I guarantee you if we if we enter into conversations more often like that, we will hang up the phone after those calls feeling a lot more joy than when we close those apps or when we turn off the news. And So I just, I, I want to invite you into that. Are the interruptions to your day or even the parts of the routine to your day, are they stealing your joy? Are they interrupting your delight? Or are they opportunities for deeper joy and deeper delight to happen? I hope they are. And if they're not, I hope that this podcast inspires you to like, do a cleanse, a purge, a spring cleaning of some of the things in your life that you consume, that you do. Whatever it is, whatever change you need to make, I, I encourage and challenge you to do that and to pray for the intercession of St. Joseph. To pray for you to be with you in those moments and in this year. You know, um, there is possibility for joy and delight and hope and all the good things. We just need to see the opportunities in them each day and not respond to them with hostility. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I'm praying for you. Continue to pray for me. And until next time, I'll see you in the Eucharist. Bye.